Welcome back to episode number 98 of the NP Dude. This is Jeff the NP Dude, giving nurse practitioners a voice. That's all of your voices, guys. I want to hear from you. I want to know what's bugging you. I want to know what your problems are. I want to know what your headaches are. I want to know what you don't understand because there's a good good probability I don't understand it either. And if I don't, I'm going to figure it out because it's probably very important to me to know. So I want to hear from you guys in... Uh, and uh, you guys can always email me. That's the best way to get me. Jeff at the npdude.com. You can get me on Facebook. Personal message me. I don't care. Jeff Powers. That works too. Here's some information about me. I haven't done this in a while. We'll do a, this is Jeff, quick update and a little bit background because I'm getting a ton of new people listening to the show and I guarantee that they're not going back and listening to my intro. So this is a good opportunity to do that again. So I'm Jeff. I am a nurse practitioner in Ohio. I've been an NP for about a year, and I've been practicing since January. So it's October almost. So it's been about almost 10 months that I've been in practice. But I'm also a licensed attorney in the state of Ohio, and I'm also a uh, former professional registered engineer. So I've, I've had a, a pretty broad backtra- background of business and, and all that good stuff. I worked in management. I worked in uh, consulting for a number of years, 13 years, a little over 13 years of consulting as a professional engineer. And uh, so I've got some business background and some, some guidance that I bring to the table from that perspective. But where most people want information from me is my background as an attorney as far as contract information, negotiations, malpractice, those tend to be the most common places where people are asking me questions. But I get other stuff too, like liability of your MA and all that that good stuff and, and things I don't even, I just take for granted or don't think about and uh, it's good information for me to refresh or it's good information that you know I've never even contemplated. So keep those ideas, keep those things coming to me. Um, yeah, I do appreciate it. I really do. So some housekeeping things. We're almost at 1,400 likes on Facebook. We're close. It's like 1,380 and change, 88, 89. I don't know, somewhere up in there. Um, but we're so close to 1,400. We're going to hit 2,000 before the end of the year if you guys help me out. I need your help, though. We're hitting about a 100 likes per week on Facebook, and I'm doing a couple posts on Facebook just responding to people. I'm not the guy that's out there publishing, hey, look at me. I'm this lawyer guy. That's not me. I'm, I'm Jeff. I'm not the other guy. And uh, so I do fully practice as a, as a nurse practitioner. And I don't really have much of an intention to practice law. But if you guys have questions, I can talk in hypotheticals. I don't want to don't want to violate my state bar and my Ohio uh, attorney license by giving illegal advice to people in other states. I can't do that. I've talked about that in the past, but I'm, I'm just letting you guys know I can't give you specific advice, but I'll certainly explain why things are the way they are and in more realistic terms what's going to happen rather than the legal philosophical or legal theory argument of a practice question and in, in reality what's going to happen. Those are more what people really want to know. So email me, jeff at the npdude.com. You can catch me on Facebook and send me a, a, a message through the npdude. You guys can tag me at the npdude and people get directed to my to my page on Facebook. Um, but tell your friends. That's really how this wor- the word is spreading. It's really you guys telling your friends, telling your colleagues, telling students that are, that are having problems or issues or not understanding things when you're in a class for APRN practice, for example. Use my show as a template for your online posts. 
I guarantee if you listen to my show, you'll have a dozen episodes that you could just point right to, go to get the information. It gives you enough information that all you got to do is a couple Google searches to get your references for your citations, and you guys got your online posts, and you'll understand it, which is the whole idea behind those online posts in the first place. So use me. Use me as a resource. The um, you can't cite to me though. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna believe it. So I'm not an authority, quote unquote. You need to actually get the sites. But um, so we're we're doing pretty good. We're almost at 1,400. I know we're gonna we're gonna hit that number that we're we're looking at 2,000 mark here just in a couple months, three months, two and a half, three months. We're gonna hit that for sure. Um, so I, I but I need your help. I really do. The other way you guys can support the show, don't forget, you can go onto my website, thenpdude.com. You will see a banner for Amazon. Click on that banner. It's either on the right side on the full page, it's at the bottom on your on your mobile device. Click on it, but you got to go to your web browser to do it. You click on the link. It takes you to Amazon. Do this, the shopping you otherwise would do, and what it's going to do is it'll kick me back a couple percentages of whatever it is you purchase. So feel free to go do that. Now, what's the weird thing of the day? What did what I see? Somebody purchased the box set. It's not weird. I mean, it's just different. It's, it's weird to me. I wouldn't have bought it, but it sounds cool. It's the DVD box set of the Grand Old Opry. Like everything that's ever been on stage at the Grand Old Opry that's been recorded. It's like 100 and some bucks, 130 bucks. Somebody bought that. It sounds like a cool Christmas present. Awesome. So I appreciate you guys using that link. Go ahead and use that link. It, uh, it helps support the show. So what's what am I going to use the money for? I'm going to use it for paying for web hosting. Once we get up and running here this next year uh, and I have to repay again, it's going to be several hundreds of dollars because I'm adding a decent amount of content that takes up space on servers. So it all adds up. So eventually it's going to get expensive. My wife's going to be like, what are you doing, dude? Quit, quit, quit talking to people on the Internet. <laughs> so I need your help to pay for it if we want this thing to keep going. So I appreciate you guys using that, that link. And uh, don't forget to tell your friends, right? So, what do we want to talk about today? I'm just—I got a couple things rolling around in my head, and I'm—I'm I'm, I'm debating on which one I want to go with. But I just—I had a, a small communication with somebody, and it was kind of answered in one of my previous shows. Um, but it led me to a, a thought, and I'm like, maybe we should talk about this because I, I keep seeing this kind of as a trend, and it—it bears discussion because I—I I get. It's not that I get frustrated with it, but it's just that I, I see people say things and I'm like, don't say it that way because it makes us look so silly as a profession. Let's be smarter than that, okay? Um, and what am I talking about? I, I, I hear breach of contract all the time. I see people say, oh, they breached the contract. They breached this. They breached... And not understanding the remedies to a breach of an agreement's provisions right? I'm saying that that way for a reason, because words matter. That's one of my things I always say, words matter. The remedies are a different issue. So yes, you may breach a provision in a contract, maybe. But what is the remedy? And that's the question of the day. And I saw somebody post in a thread, they breached the contract, so it's null and void. Well, first off, it's not null and void. That's, That's ridiculous. And it's just blatantly obvious that the person that said null and void has no idea what they're saying and shouldn't even be commenting on a Facebook post about a contract if you're using the words null and void because you don't obviously know what you're talking about, all right? And I'm not trying to be mean to that individual. I'm trying to encourage you that if you don't know 
what you're talking about, whether it's as a nurse practitioner, as a contract employee, as a as an attorney, as a, a medical assistant, I don't care. As a used car salesman, I don't care. If you don't know what you're talking about, stay silent. You always look more intelligent than trying to snowball people into thinking you know what you're talking about. Because a lot of people are really smart and it just looks obvious that you don't know what you're doing. You're going to lose a lot of respect and you're going to lose a lot of clout in your profession if you're out there talking about things and it's blatantly obvious you don't know what you're talking about. It's better to be mysterious and silent and, you know, be looked upon as knowledgeable and, and mysterious than it is, you know, having diarrhea of the mouth. And people probably accuse me of that at times. And I'm okay with that because I'm confident in what I know. And when I don't know, I'm the first one to admit, dude, I don't know what I'm talking about with that. Or this is how I would approach finding that information even if I don't know what it is. So I would encourage you to just kind of be quiet on things if you don't know what you're doing. So null and void, right, does not exist. It's not a check. You know, a check is null and void, right? A contract is not. It's kind of crazy wording for it. It just doesn't make sense. It's never in contract law if I ever learned the words null and void. First off, if you breach a provision of a contract, you don't breach a contract. It's breach a significant or a certain portion of the agreement. In other words, you do something different than what you're going to say you did. It never voids the contract in its entirety unless you look in the provisions of the contract and it specifically states that if for any reason any portion of this agreement is is violated or held not to be um, completed or there was um, um, it, the, the actions were not completed or whatever it was, right? were not fulfilled then then the provision of the, or the entire agreement would be void right or it's uninfo- found to be unenforceable or something like that the only reason that, that's the only reason that you could ever void an entire contract for that usually now there is a provision in a contract almost every boilerplate contract out there will have what's called a severability clause some people call it a separability with a p instead of v Either way, it's the same thing. So separability, severability, same darn, same darn thing in my book. And different different classes called it different things in law school, but it was pretty much the same thing. And what a severability clause is, is this. It's a way to save the entire contract from being held to be unenforceable. So for example, you have a contract that is, I'm going to do two examples. I'm going to do one that's that you can't, the, the, the two, let's do the traditional severability pr- provision here and putting it in terms of nurse practitioners. Say you have a contract that has a non-compete for a period of 10 years. It's really a long time, right? And no jurisdiction is going to enforce a 10-year provision to to a, um, or a, a non-competition clause. It's just never going to happen, right? It's too, too broad. It's not reasonable, right? So you... You go to court, you sue for a non-compete, um, you know, a breach. You breached, uh, you went and got another job ten years, you know, six years later. You, you didn't work for six years or whatever ridiculous amount of time it was. And then you started finding a job. You said, well, it's been so long, they're never going to come get me. They sue you for a breach of the non-competition clause. And you turn around and say, well, look, it's un- unenforceable. In fact, it's so egregious that it's the entire contract is null and void, right, which just doesn't exist. Um, you look to the words of the agreement. It was silent. It doesn't say anything about it. Most jurisdictions will say, no, we're going to only limit that 
portion of the contract and hold whether it's enforceable or not for that provision. It doesn't null and void, quote-unquote, the entire agreement. Okay? doesn't work that way. Unless it specifically states otherwise. Now, if you said within a reasonable period of time, so say instead of 10 years, it's one year. You have a non-compete. And your employer, former employer, at eight months, you go and work for somebody else. And it's clearly a violation of the contract. And they sue you for breach of the non-competition. See, I'm doing it specific because words matter. Non-competition provision within the contract. And the court says, um, yes, we, we agree. It's It should be upheld. It's not um, a violation. It's not a violation of any specific state laws like California. I think they've got a weird provision in, or weird law about non-competes, but most of them, they're enforceable as long as they're reasonable, and we are going to say, nope, you have to stop working, and we can preclude you, or you pay the damages of whatever it is, okay, so damages we could talk about in the later later show, or maybe even today, I don't know, and so that, that court says yes, but you look to the contract, and you look for the severability clause, because maybe um, that clause touched on another clause, like say a... Um, I am trying to think of something that might even con- that would be contemplated connected with it. It's usually so specific it doesn't even fit that way. But say they 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 were arguing as a defense that well no because you know the violation of the agreement of maybe they didn't pay for um, you know pay me a severance or something because I left and there was another provision of the contract that you're suing as a countersuit and they look and say nope um, because maybe we didn't do that. We, we should have paid that um, severance p- package and we didn't. Um, so we are wrong for that. So, you know, we're not going to, the court's not going to c- cancel out the entire contract because there is a severability clause that says um, just because one party violated the non-compete and another party violated the uh, promise to pay up for a severance, we're not going to kill the entire deal. We're going to keep the deal in place, but we're going to piecemeal off these little sections of the contract and keep the whole contract in place. And then we figure out what the damages are based upon the breach of those independent provisions, if that makes sense. Okay. So it keeps the entire thing alive. It doesn't make it null and void, quote unquote. It's, it gets really technical, but you have to look at all the provisions of the contract. And that's that's hard to do. It's hard to come up with that on the fly. So I apologize. That's the best I could do quickly. Now, there are some cases where the key to the entire agreement is either illegal or against moral turpitude. We've talked about moral turpitude in the past. And it's so egregious that they will cancel the entire contract. Only in very specific instances. And it's like, here's an example. I make an agreement with you that I'm going to sell you a child. <laughs> okay, right? I can't sell a human being. It's against the law, right? I can't do it. Even if it wasn't against the law, which I'm pretty darn sure it is, you, you, can't, you can't do human trafficking. It's a, it's a moral, moral issue. If that goes before, before the court, they're going to kill that entire deal. Even if you just breach one small provision of it and have a severability clause in it, they're going to kill the deal, right? I mean, it's just it's morality. You just can't do that. Right? Or I'm going to, I contract with you to sell you a bunch of crack cocaine. Right? I, I, that's not going to be an enforceable contract, no matter how you slice it, no matter what terms you put into the agreement. You know, even if it's found to be unenforceable, um, you shall uphold these pro- other provisions of the agreement. It's not going to work, right? You, know, you can't compete on this street corner for, you know, 100 days, you know, to sell crack. Or, you know, it's just not going to work. <laughs> you, just can't, you can't do that, right? So, 
So the severability clause can and usually is in most every agreement. So you have to read the contracts. The specific case in point, the specific instance was a, it was a, um, a contract issue about changing of the timing and the schedules in general. All right, I'm not going to get into any more than that. I don't need to. But the idea is that can they unilaterally change the scheduling for the NPs? And the answer is if it was in the contract specifically, then in reality they, they can, but only unless they have a couple things in place. And I, and I linked my, sh- my other show that I did about this unilateral changes. You can go look up unilateral changes or changes to contract. Just type contract is one of those shows and you'll get it. It's in there. And I've got about a half a dozen different shows on contracts. So it's in there. You got to kind of hunt and peck for it though. Use the search box on my website if you want that one. Like episode 50 something, 54 maybe, somewhere in there. I think it might even be the dandelion wine one. So if you see my jug of dandelion wine, you'll see it. So the issue is this. So say you have um, this schedule change, right? And you look in your contract and it says, you know, you have a specific set schedule in your contract is well established. So it's in there, okay? It's not even like, you know, kind of soft and that you they can maybe just work around it. So they are clearly violating the contract when they do this. In reality, there's going to be another provision in the contract that specifically states that they have the authority. Sorry, getting out of my car. I'm done driving. I'm walking, doing everything at once. And in case you guys didn't know, new new listeners to the show, I do most of my shows in my in my car while I'm driving. So that's why you, you hear the engine running and the background noise and all that stuff. That's me driving. This is the only time I usually have to do this. So um, if you look specifically at the contract, and it's not, it's not, uh, or it is a, a particular violation of the contract to change the schedule. There's usually another provision to the contract that says that they can kind of ter- terminate the agreement for anything that they basically want to terminate it for. So, do you really want to get into a piss and match with a company that is your employer that um, that they could fill your shoes pretty easily? right behind you because of the number of NPs that are getting out there, including myself, right? And, and you walk away with, with, <laughs> with a bad flavor in their mouth about negotiation when you go, come time to redo your contract. So the question is, can they do it? Legally, anybody is allowed to breach a contract. It's whether they want to pay the damages or suffer the, suffer the consequences of that contract, that, that breach of that provision. And, and in reality, they can just terminate the agreement. So what, what are you fighting for? I mean, they're going to just terminate your contract and hire somebody new is, is the worst case scenario for you. The best case scenario is, you, you know, you, you politely show them the contract and say, look, this is where the expectations that we, we agreed to. And you try to work it out in a political way because you don't want to get into a fighting match because you're probably going to lose. You're just going to get terminated because it's probably in the contract that way. Usually. Now, you have to read the words of your agreement. Every agreement is slightly different. Nobody has a set standard on this stuff. And it really depends on what you're willing to agree to when you when you get your contract. So when you, when you walk into your next agreement is where you really want to be aware of what the termination provisions are for you. you can, what, can they just look at you? You look at them sideways and they fire you. Or do you have to, you know, actually, you know, lose your certification or, you know, questionable complaint, you know, that, that could be filed with your state board of nursing. And that would be more than sufficient for them to terminate the agreement. Um, but is it just, you know, you violate the rules of the handbook? Probably could get fired for that. Could it be um, uh, as simple as you just don't fit well with the organization and you have a morale issue? 
because you you know bring people down. Yeah, they can fire you that for, for that too. And it that that kind of takes you into the at will employee type termination discussion, which I talk extensively about the at will stuff in the past. So the the big question is. What do you do about this? You kind of just try to talk to them and work it out. There's really no great answer for you because they can unilaterally change an agreement by just saying, we'll terminate you and then we're going to make it whatever we want. So you can either consent to the change to the agreement or they can fire you. They can cancel the contract. Goodbye. Go away. So you just have to ask yourself the question, what's the most political way to get out of this situation and what's the best I can hope for? To be honest with you, that's really what you can do. Um, I saw something about prepaid legal services um, in the thread there. Don't do prepaid legal services. It's a waste of money in my opinion. Um, You have malpractice insurance, and the malpractice insurance uh, should have, if you read your malpractice policy, um, will will give you money for um, for your legal fees. So hire a reputable attorney in your area that covers what you're dealing with, whether it's contract or a healthcare issue or a board action, and uh, and just make sure that your insurance policy also covers your board actions too. It should be in the policy. Most of them do, but double check it. <sighs> what else do we want to talk about, guys? Well, we're 20 minutes in on this one. Another question, same old question. Why should I get my own malpractice policy? Ugh, come on, guys. We've done this, right? I've, and I link to the show all the time. It's It just makes sense, right? They're, they're, the malpractice policy, if, you're, if your pr- company is providing it for you, chances are it's a rider to their policy. You are not the client of the insurance company. You aren't. You're just a insured. You're listed as it. You're not the one that paid the policy premium. You're not the client. So they will not look out for your interest. They will not cover you for board actions. They won't do anything for you. All they're there to do is basically protect the company and give give an insurance policy so that they can get you credentialed because you have to have that to get credentialed. If you are covered solely, it is your policy and they happen to be flipping the bill for it. In my opinion, I would negotiate it differently and say, just reimburse me and let me get my policy. If you have set standards that you want me to get a certain policy limit, then you tell me what that is. If it's a 1 million, 3 million, 1 million, 6 million, 2 million, 6 million, whatever it is that they want to work out with you, put that in the terms of your contract that you shall have and maintain an insurance policy of blank and they will reimburse you up to you know, 1500 2000 bucks, whatever it is you it costs. You can get a quote within minutes, so it's not a big deal. Um, but get your own policies, please. Please, please, please. I hear it all the time. Oh, but it makes you more of a target with lawyers. Bullshit. Bullshit. No one knows what your insurance is. The only one that knows is your employer, right? So if your employer is giving you an insurance policy that's a rider to theirs, you are under zero obligation to provide your declaration page from your insurance policy to your employer. You get your own policy that covers you individually, you put it in your back pocket, and you don't say a damn word about it to anybody. And no one, including your employer, will even know you have that policy. If you get sued, if there's a claim against you for a board action, if there's even the sniff that you did something wrong, you call your insurance policy policy provider or your insurer your insurer and you you say hey I got a potential issue and you get you hire your attorney for you and you use your policy to do that their insurance will cover them you just happen to be listed on it 
it's just it's insane to me that people still insist that they're going to be subject to liability because they have an insurance policy that no one knows about. Makes zero sense. No one knows that you have it. Zero. Now, if you go blabbing around the office saying you have it, and somebody you know tells the a, a, a plaintiff's attorney in a deposition, oh yeah, Jeff's got an extra policy over there, and then they say, oh well, really? That's interesting. Then when you get the post, and they say, well, what's your limit of liability? Where's your insurance policies? And they ask you about it. Then you get that, but that that's after you've already been named. So why would you tell anybody right off the bat? You want to get dismissed off the case right off the bat with your lawyer. And nobody needs to know how you pay for that lawyer. Period. That's my philosophy. That's how I would handle it. All right. I hate beating up on that one, but I hear it all the time. It's so frustrating. Come on, guys. Get your own policies. You're a professional. Be a professional. Have your own insurance. Um, I was going to do another legal topic. Do we want to do another legal topic? Have you ever, has anybody ever heard of Ray's Ipsa Loquitur? That might be, maybe it's a good one to do. Raise ipsa loquitur is uh, it's a legal term. Um, yeah, we're not, we'll do that another time. I want to get I wanna, I'll dig into that one a little bit more. And, and the only reason I want to talk about that, and I'll do it in a new show, in a different show, is because um, it's a weird tort liability issue that most most people don't think that they have maybe liability when they do, and it's more for people doing procedures and things. So. Um, so maybe we'll do that in a future show. I'll do a raise ipsa loquitur, you know, uh, what is it and what could it mean to you type of thing. And, and it's an important one to know, especially if you're doing procedures. I don't do procedures. I don't cut on people. I don't take moles off and stuff. I just send you to Durham because, to be perfectly blunt, I don't have time to sit there and watch you bleed in my office. <laughs> it's just, I don't have a cautery. And I'm not using silver nitrate to, to try to cover up a one-inch hole I just cut out of your back or something. So I, I send them to Durham. Um, but if you're doing procedures, it's an important thing to know about. So start Googling Raise Ipsa Loquitur. It's R-E-S-I-P-S-A Loquitur. So good luck, right? L-O-Q-U-I-T-O-R. Loquitur, right? So Raise Ipsa Loquitur. It's a good one to know. Impress your friends with that word too. Um, one other thing I saw, somebody posted, and I thought it was interesting, it was happened to be somebody that I was communicating with about some other stuff, I saw that they posted a post on Facebook, and it was Illinois approved in June their uh, full practice authority in certain circumstances, and so that's awesome, and Illinois is like um, pretty liberal of a, of a state, and uh, but they also have a lot of physicians. There's a lot of people there, a lot of physicians, and I'm imagining that the, the AMA and the state version of their medical association is uh, pretty powerful. So that's impressive that they could get that done in Illinois. So congratulations, Illinois NPs. Now, I think they did reserve in Illinois that you have to have um, a... Uh, I think they call it a written collaborative agreement, a WCA, I think is what they call it in Illinois. And you have to have that if you are in a hospital setting or in a um, clinic type setting that, that's, that's like that type of practice. So like urgent cares and things that are staffed by physicians and whatnot. But for family practice, if you're just a, a solo family practice just out there, you guys can do it without a collaborative agreement now. Fantastic. Can't wait for Ohio to catch up. So hopefully we'll get some more tipping here. we got, what, 22 or 23 now? And I think that Illinois kicks in in January of 2018. So we still have some time before that kicks in to see what the impact of that's going to be. But um, but I think that's fantastic. That's awesome. I just can't wait. I can't wait in Ohio for that to go away. There's no need for it. It makes zero sense to me. 
So when I when I see people that have the argument that well we need to have you know physician oversight and all that stuff, I completely turn them around and say, look, I don't have any physician oversight. I have a collaborative agreement that requires uh, a physician to look at my charts six months from now. So it does zero for public safety if the public safety argument is the argument that they're hanging their hat on. You hear physicians say that all the time. It's not safe for a, phys- for a nurse practitioner because they need supervision. And I look at them and I say, no, you don't. I, I need zero supervision. I need you to review my, my, my charts six months from now and tell me if I did everything right or not. Did I chart everything right or not? And they take zero liability for doing that. They just have no liability because it's so temporally di- distant that it doesn't happen. Now, I do think that in specialties, I think that there should still be collaboration to some level. Because we do not have training, per se, in cardiology, endocrinology, you know, dermatology, all that stuff. Now, you could get some certifications, I'm sure, um, some post-master's type certifications that exist out there. But there's not a set you know, standard for those. So I, I, I don't know if I personally would feel comfortable saying, yeah, I, I want to go to my f- standalone free practice, full practice authority, cardiologist NP. That, I, I don't think that really exists yet. So I think that in those circumstances, I agree. That's, they should have some limited amount of specialist or uh, supervision. Does that mean that they have full supervision? I don't think that you need that, but I think that uh, you know you shouldn't be able to open up your own practice as an NP cardiologist or endocrinologist, even though you're 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 capable of it. I don't think that that's the point. The point is that there's not enough training skill and things like that that would absolve those professionals from liability. I think you're going to be found if something happens that you're going to be screwed when it comes to being sued because you don't have the training knowledge and skill of a cardiologist physician you just don't and so I think that's that's an issue um, but I think in family practice or you know outpatient family practice there's zero reason in this in the United States that we have a collaborative agreement so I, I would even in psych as well I think that's kind of falls in that that perspective too is to limit the there's no reason for it there's no reason for it. So if we would get the AANP to say, why don't we just, across the nation, separate out family practice and psych and peds, you know, outpatient stuff where there's no procedures, nothing like that, and get full practice authority for just those groups. It just makes sense to me. It, why, why wouldn't we do that? We don't need full practice because we're giving them ammunition because full practice authority for acute care, um, you know, critical care and doing that. I mean, not that you're not servicing those, those patients. You really are. But I just think that we could win the fight with family practice and then worry about the rest later. Let's break through and get it everywhere. And then we'll start chipping away at the other ones. And then maybe in the, in the process, we can start developing better educational programs that are more specific for those areas that we want to get full practice authority for. It just makes sense. I don't know. I want to hear from you guys. I want to know what you guys think about it. I want to know what your opinions are. I want to hear uh, whether you agree or disagree, but I want to hear from you guys. I want you to email me, jeff at the npdude.com. I want to hear from you. You can catch me on Facebook at the NP Dude. You can also catch me personally, Jeff Powers. If you guys have questions about me, my background, or anything, or you say, Jeff, you're full of crap on something, I want to hear it. I haven't heard anybody tell me I'm full of crap any, any time recently.
I want, I want somebody to tell me, Jeff, you're full of crap. It used to be a joke, by the way, for you new listeners. If, you, if you're listening, if you're one of my chronic intractables, which are my, uh, my chronic listeners, um, that's what we call the chronic listeners of the MP Dude Show here is the chronic intractable. If you are a chronic intractable, you know that I'm full of crap, right? But you new people out there, uh, tell me if, if you don't agree with me. I want to hear from you. I need to hear from you. So don't forget to use the Amazon affiliate link. It's a great way to support the show. And uh, don't forget, you guys, share the share the show. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your colleagues. Uh, for this individual that I, I, I don't know if they've, they've listened in the past, but um, multiple of their, their people in their, NP, in their NP practice with their schedules are all jacked up, share the show with them. Tell them, tell them what's going on because it's not real hard to figure out, but you guys got to get a unified front on how you want to handle that one because uh, if three people leave versus one, that might that might make things a little bit easier of a decision for an employer on how they want to handle it because it might cause a major hiccup in their in their revenue coming in. So um, share the share the show, spread the word, guys. Have a great day. Enjoy, enjoy what you do. Take care of people. Do the best you can. Promote our profession. Don't tear us down. And we'll talk soon.